Hello, beautiful listeners. I can't see you. I'm just assuming. Welcome to Alternative Christian Voices with me, Sam Shepard, your host. Today, we welcome Lee Chantler to talk about class. Lee, do you feel ready to be the voice of the angry oppressed masses? <laughs> it's all I've ever been. All you've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> well, so we made you a priest. That's that's about right, isn't it? That's what we do with people who don't know how to do anything else. We ordain them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then let let them loose on the angry oppressed public. <laughs> <laughs> so Lee, welcome to Alternative Christian Voices. Why don't you tell us? You've got about five minutes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Five minutes about myself. Well, well, thank you. you, you I believe I believe in you. <laughs> thank you um so uh i suppose as we're talking about class the first thing i suppose i should say is that i identify as working class um and that i am recently been ordained in the church of england so i'm a, a curate a, a deacon a vicar basically uh more or less um he hasn't he's not been ordained priest yet so he hasn't got magic hands he, he can no. he can he can preach so he's he's got a magic voice but not magic hands <laughs> I've got magic voice well, I've got like magic voice and magic hands yeah yeah Sam Sam's got magic hands apparently but I haven't uh, not yet anyway uh, <laughs> I'm I'm awaiting full magic uh, no so yeah I'm uh, I'm a curate in Church of England and I identify as working class um I grew up in in around southeast London in Kent um my family background is all kind of um uh, working class mainly on my mum's side my dad's side is a mixture of kind of uh sort of traditional working class and uh traveler uh, family as well um and yeah i suppose growing up um i ended up growing up in <laughs> in a really posh place called royal tunbridge wells um so it was a bit of a juxtaposition uh, really and i went to this uh, roman catholic church and none of my family went to the church at all. The only reason I went was because there was a, a priest there called uh, Father Michael, Father Michael Evans, um, who who had basically had a heart for for the poor. Um, and that's not to conflate working class with poor, but I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, but he uh, <laughs> he um, he was the head of a thing called the Romero Trust. He he was the kind of lead person in Europe and the UK, kind of uh, supporting the work of Oscar Romero um, and sort of bringing it to light. Um, and actually, he's remembered at a shrine in, in the Catholic cathedral in, in Southwark there. Um, but he really cared. He used to come to our estate all the time. Um, he sort of took me under his wing and got me doing the offertory and learning theology. And I watched the Oscar Romero film with him when I was about eight years old, which was, you know, has sort of left this indelible harrowing mark on my life. <laughs> and uh, uh, and yeah, he just he just really cared. And I sort of grew up in an environment that it was quite chaotic. Uh, there was, you know, um, there was alcohol and, and drugs and care and um, and there was there was there was great stuff as well but it was quite a chaotic place um, and this this man this priest was kind of an adult who I don't know it made me feel that actually things were okay and that I didn't need to be ashamed um, some of my happiest memories were he and I would do a mass once a month in the working men's club on the estate uh, and very often it would just be me and him and maybe two old ladies and I'd be serving the altar and he'd be he'd be doing the Eucharist um, and. I sort of left all that behind, actually, in, in my teenage years and thought um, I'd kind of got rid of it all. But turns out <laughs> it had quite an impact on me. So here I am. Uh, yeah, colour suits you. Thank you, mate. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, and that's it, I suppose. Really, yeah, that's that's kind of that was that was my early life. And then I've been oh, I suppose I've done other stuff, haven't I? So I've been you've uh, done some things. I've heard of a few of them. I yeah so in 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 my life what have i done i mean I've, I've worked i've done all sorts of kind of ordinary jobs i've worked in bars and restaurants and care homes uh i was working as a potter for a little while 
Um, and I also uh, did a lot of work as a stand-up comedian and a folk musician. Um, and folk at, the same, at the same time? Yeah, they crossed over. Yeah. And sometimes recently it's um, they've come together more and I've kind of become a comedy folk musician, I suppose, which is what folk. <laughs> so if, if you're not a very good musician, you become a folk musician. And if you're not a very good folk musician, you become a comedy folk right. musician. See, <laughs> I'm, now, I, I, I'm not a very good musician. <laughs> one step away from Charles TV presenter. I, I'm not a very good musician. So I became I wanted to be a blues guitarist, but I, I wasn't mm. good enough. So I became a folk guitarist. Yeah, and then I went the other route, and and now I play worship in church. Oh yeah, because oh, I wasn't good one... enough to be a folk musician. So yeah, that is one of the paths. That is one of the classic. That's one I'm what? desperately trying to avoid. <laughs> I tried hard. It was recently it's caught me. What 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 basically what happens to musicians that aren't very talented is we just keep changing audiences to to the more and more desperate <laughs> genres. Whichever yeah. genre is most desperate is where you will land. Yeah. I find being a guitarist in the sea shanty world where I was, which is largely a cappella, <laughs> was very forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just had to, I spent a lot of time tapping out rhythms on the side of a guitar. Um, no, yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that's what I did. And then uh, and I certainly had yeah, left church behind me when I was about 18. Um, I was in a church again when I, was, I suppose I was about 25, 26. Um, I was only in there because the village we lived in at the time, um, in, we lived in a village called Port Isaac in on the north coast of Cornwall. Uh, and uh, no one goes to church there um, other than on Christmas Eve for the Chris single. All the families go with their kids. So our, our new friends were going and we just had a baby girl, our first baby. So we went along um, and uh, there was a point in the service where the, G, uh, the priest was explaining the Chris single. And uh, they were pointing it all and they said, oh, you know, the orange is the world and, and the candle is because Jesus is the light of the world which is just one of those like innocuous phrases that you hear all the time if you grow up in a Christian environment. Um, but for some reason that day, it just like knocked me off my feet. Um, and so after Christmas, I went to visit this priest and said like, hi, you don't know me. I've only been to an Anglican church once before, but I think I want to be a priest. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, the, because the musician thing's not working out. <laughs> before you become a priest. Yeah. yeah. I went down a similar route. <laughs> <laughs> And when I think when you're, I don't mean to generalise. I'm sure there's some some brilliant priests out there that, that that respond brilliantly to working class people. But I do think when sometimes when when working class people come forward for for ordination, they get bad reactions. I mean, I, I was in a very similar boat. I've been a Christian for a, a year or so, and I felt I felt called, and I I went to see my priest, and he I love him dearly. I owe him a great deal. He didn't mean he didn't mean it the way it came off to me. No, no. But he um. He got out a hymn book. I was. Um, he got out a hymn book and he, he opened it to a hymn that said, "I don't know the hymn, but it says something about um, worshiping God in your drudgeries. You can worship God even by cleaning the floor." Okay. And in my head, Ooh, so he, even he's, saying, by... he's saying to me, <laughs> "So he's saying to me, you want to be a priest, but you can worship by cleaning the floor." And I'm thinking, "So are you just saying just carry on, just go back and be a cleaner? Yeah. <laughs> Settle down." But it's it's for me, it's all part of that stratification thing, in that you know. To be a priest is somehow better than to clean a floor um, or yeah, to be middle class is somehow better to be working class. And actually, or vice versa, you know, you get it inverted as well, that working class people want to say because they're working class, they're somehow more authentic or got more integrity than someone who's middle class or identifies as such. Um, and actually, I think for me, the process of becoming part of the Church of England has given me a lot to think about here in that it's not a system of stratification or hierarchy, but it's just a diversity of, of backgrounds and experiences whereby you're able to say, well, actually, 
you know, being a cleaner is just as valuable both for for the individual and for the community they serve as it is being a priest. It's just about different callings sure. and, and, you know, where, where you feel you want to end up with your life, um, uh, which, which is why, you know, you get that kind of um, growing up in there's always that kind of frustrating thing, you know, like, oh, well, they're a brain surgeon or that's rocket science or or the, or the other way around is the kind of converse, you know, even the person who cleans the street. That that kind of um, as if there's something wrong with the person that cleans the street. Yeah, exactly. You know, and there's been loads of examples through history, haven't there, where kind of um, where kind of refuse people have have gone on strike. I think there was a big one in New York in the 70s or 80s or something. And I mean, quite obviously, it only took a few few days, and the whole city came to a standstill. And they got what they got. The union got what they wanted because because that work is invaluable. Um, But yeah, there there is a notion with um, there's a really interesting guy talks about. in African societies, particularly, he's, he's looking at the work that women do in those societies, but it kind of equates to to anyone doing what one's work becomes invaluable. So, you know, he was talking about like collecting water, for instance, that's a woman's job in an African uh, in certain African communities. Um, collecting water is invaluable. It has to happen. And so therefore it becomes valueless, um, which uh, feeds into notions of like productive and non-productive labour. Um, but let's not get all Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. You, I, I figured you might. You, you haven't cut your beard in a while. You, yeah, sorry. I'm trying not to <laughs> You're looking it. a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm not sure that people realise. I'm not sure people always realise how out of place working class people can feel in church or in, in Christian environments. Like, um, yeah. it, in no secular context have I ever been asked what my dad does. But when I was at college, <laughs> it came up all the time. He's a, yeah. He works in a meat factory, by the way. I consider that neither good nor bad. I mean, yeah. What difference does it make to me what my dad does for a living? And um, yeah. in church, my wife used to go to a church in um, uh, in, a, in in a village in a, in a quite a posh part of Oxford. And I was visiting once, and I mentioned I mentioned the estate I worked on, and they all thought I was a gardener. Yeah, I've had that. <laughs> 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 they didn't think I was a gardener. It wasn't as biblical as that. It was. Uh, so I think I, when I said the word estate, so I said I work on estate. They, they and I didn't realise it was about ten minutes of conversation going forward. You know, before I quite clocked that what they thought was going on. Um, uh, I just an estate to that kind of culture means, you know, estate manor house. Yeah, like. yeah. I, I was on placement at one of the colleges in Oxford, and I was talking to one of the undergraduates about the estate I grew up on and we'd known each other for a couple of weeks you know only like a little bit but um and he said well sorry do you mean estate from and he did a thumbs up or estate but it was interesting for me because that's been a big part of my journey is that realizing that um both through life and through school and then and in the church as well it's this notion of of being kind of socially aware enough or socially uncomfortable enough I don't know to be able to put aside my sort of natural inclinations to fit into a, a more middle class environment. Mm. Um, and and it, and, it, and it's sort of for a long time happened without realising. Um, and then, I mean, I'm, for instance, I'm in a position now where when I go back with my family, the way I, I feel so out of place by the way I speak, because I sound so posh compared to yeah, them. Because you're quite well spoken, like you, you, you're sort of obviously well read. And... Yeah, yeah. And, and But that was a conscious thing. You know, I felt at school and in the church environment growing up, I felt so uh, like I had something to prove. So all my books, particularly my books from the kind of teenage years, 
they've got all the words written in the back of the book that I didn't know when I was reading the book. And then I used to set myself a challenge to use those long, archaic words in conversations with posh people to prove to them that I could have that conversation with them. That I could be articulate and verbose like they were. Um, and now I, and now I find myself really grieving the fact that I don't sound like my relatives anymore, but I can't sound like them without putting it on, you know, like, like, yeah. like doing a dire impression. Um, yeah, I know I, what you mean. I've a similar sort of thing really where, but, um, but I've landed somewhere in the middle. I've never really tried to not sound working class, but um, not consciously. I probably have subconsciously. But I've yeah. landed somewhere in the middle where where I've got quite a big vocabulary from studying and stuff. But but I also still kind of sound like a chav. So <laughs> um, I'm a well-spoken chav now. Yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? it and and it's um, yeah, it, it's it's a complicated one. Like now, my so sometimes my kids will drop their teas or something. You know that they you know so I did you know I didn't want any of that. And my and my wife will correct them, and and I think I, I'm torn because, you know, I suppose technically speaking, my wife is right. That's not how you pronounce that word. Well, that's not how that word is commonly pronounced. But also, you know, they they can pronounce it like that. And I don't want to, you know, it's it's it's, it's really complicated. And church church makes that a lot more complicated yeah. because it's because it's so uh, distinctly middle class. Um, really in its makeup you know yeah um, it is I one of the things I think is really interesting is that me and my wife me, me and Rachel um we're, we're actually both from quite quite poor quite working class families um, mm. um but people don't assume that when they meet us because Rachel grew up in church yeah and, uh, her, her dad works in a plant nursery my dad works in a factory you know they're equivalent kind of employments um mm. they're both laborers but but Rachel grew up in church and her mum made sure that she didn't drop her teas. And so Rachel, as we you know, grew up together, Rachel comes across as quite middle class. Yeah. Uh, whereas I come across as quite working class. And actually, we come from very similar backgrounds in many ways. Her family yeah. is nicer than mine. but. Um. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, there, there's so much to class. It's so complicated. And it, it's, I mean, lots of the people who write about it say that it used to be easier to define. And actually, I don't think it was. I think people were just happier to label something they didn't mm. understand in the past. Whereas now, we're, we're hopefully, we're kind of, well, we're slightly more open to the nuances. And like I said, it's not about wealth at all. You know, I know, I know lots of uh, lots of tradespeople who who earn, you know, ten times what I'm ever going to earn as a vicar. Um, and it's and it's and it's kind of gone beyond the point where it's about kind of higher education. Um, although that is still a factor, you know, it's, it's something like 80 or percent of Church of England um, parishioners or people who go to Church of England Church have got um, undergraduate level degree or higher, yeah. which compares to only about like 25 percent of the population. Um, and if you take that further and you say if you take uh, church plants, um, the, the it goes up beyond 80 percent up into the 90 percent are undergraduate level because that's kind of where they're aimed. And if you take people who live on estates, it goes down to about eight or nine percent undergraduate so you're looking at like you know like a 90 percent variance there uh, this, the these sort of statistics church. are why you're better at this than me so me, me and lee do basically the same thing we're working class clergy that work work in deprived areas we do basically the same thing he's just actually done his research <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just i just i just make it up as i go along well so done, how, would, like, how would you say that how are people you know coming from working class backgrounds saying what we've said about church being quite middle class how have people responded to you in churches i think i mean i think there's kind of different different places in, in my history where that's where um i've had different responses so certainly when i so when i was younger and i came from this very chaotic dysfunctional family 
in a very posh well-to-do church um and it was i remember this feeling as i was growing older of gradually becoming aware of how people perceived me um and and that was quite painful actually um and and ultimately led me to leave the church um but you know but when i got to my teenage years um but certainly you know talking about coming back as an adult and and getting involved in in the church you know in the way i am now and ultimately becoming uh, ordained and a leader in the church it's 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 been a mixed bag like we were talking about earlier there is the sense whereby to begin with people aren't entirely sure kind of uh, where you sit but there are certain there are certain points that come up um where you know so things like uh, swearing um has been interesting yeah they do not like um, it when you swear at church they don't I, yes I, I, i've only done it from a pulpit once i didn't okay. mean to apparently but you I, can be arrested someone told me can you <laughs> yes. i wasn't arrested but there was a very cross mum mm. i mean like very cross yeah i th- i think i mean it, it's about having a sense of kind of discernment isn't it but but I, I in kind of just general discourse and talking with people the environment i come from is that not just it's normal to swear it, it's uh, it's abnormal to not be swearing it's it's kind of the i suppose people talk about you know that kind of social oils that kind of happens you know small talk that kind of way that people are able to interact with each other in a kind of middle class small talk setting well in the working class environment i grew up in you know what one of the major oils in that kind of that, that social lubrication was swearing yeah you know, it's, and it's, it's part of the everyday vernacular it'd be yeah, like it'd be like trying to speak to someone in another language without some of the core words of the language yeah uh, it's just it's, it's not, just part of it's just part of the turn of phrase it's how they talk yeah or how we and talk that weird thing of when you're talking thinking you keep stumbling over your words and you suddenly realize you're sort of censoring yourself um and and it's not you know it's not as though you're swearing at people um it, it's 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 yeah, <laughs> it's it's but i mean that's so that's one thing um, i've gotten better at it. I'm, I'm i'm a couple of years ahead of you um yeah n- not in terms of ability purely in terms of years since i left seminary um and i was worse at it at first so, so i've gotten much better now because eventually you you just sort of you learn to contextualize what group you 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 read the room you're in much more naturally yeah so i mean you and and i would do that anyway you know, if i was going for a job interview before uh, you know, I, I wouldn't sit down and be like, "All right, prick." <laughs> like, uh, you, know, you, you know, don't you? You've got you've got some sort of context. But it's, it's, I think I think the thing is when you when you get a relationship with someone and you think you're on on terms whereby you can be yourself, and then you go to be yourself, whether that's you know swearing about something or or you know. Uh, I don't know, you know, wanting to go to the pub or wanting to talk about Strictly Come Dancing or the football or any of these kind of generic kind of ordinary things people talk about. They seem like cliches, but, you know, the reason they're cliches is because it's just kind of ordinary life. That's what they are, you know, and and suddenly you realise that actually, even though you're not in that place, in that relationship with that person that you thought you were. um, But I, I think the harder things have been. The, and, and, I, and I see it happening in my congregation already with other people coming in is the kind of expectations in the church. It's it's all very it, it feels unnatural, you know, kind of we're going to, you know, the way they dress, the, the way they talk, the reading aloud in public, the shaking hands with each other. You know, it's all it does all feel quite, quite unnatural in, in that sort of in that sort of way. And I think it's you know what I mean? It's it's so kind of. Um, there's a sense that it's kind of very prim and proper and therefore not for you. Um, yeah. You know, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're not welcome in this place. And actually I'm, 
I'm almost certain that in any given congregation, that is not the case at all. But but it, it can feel that way because of where you're coming from. It is is different to, to where those people are coming from. Um, and this to me is part of the is, is a big part of the issues. I've been in some churches, my, my first church, um, just to, to pick one that I'm deeply fond of, St. Andrews. I love that church dearly. And, and I was treated so well there. Yeah. And I think if some of the people that, that you know, maybe even listening to this, some of the people that, that interacted with me in my sort of earlier experiences of that church knew how they came across or knew mm. how the environment came across, they'd be really upset. I genuinely think they would because I was yeah. never treated with anything. I was never intentionally treated with anything other than anything other than love. Mm. Um, so there's a question of, of, of how conscious this is, how much people realize how they come across. So with yeah. that in mind, I know it's fairly obvious what what your answer will be, but it gives you a permission to talk a bit more. What do you <laughs> did, did you feel you needed permission? <laughs> I have you, are my, you are my senior, as you said. You, you're only only in the most technical of senses. I mean, like we're basically the same person, but you're funnier and nicer. So, I, no. I, frankly, I, I hate you a little bit. <laughs> So it's this kind of good, honest, working class banter. You just don't get it. Churches are so unwelcome. Right. Yeah. You can't be as horrible to people in churches as, as I would be with my friends. So do you think, got distracted, do you think the class is an issue in church? Oh, yeah, massively. Yeah. I mean, I th- yeah, it is really. I, I think. You know, those statistics we were talking about in terms of uh, university degrees, which is which is just one of the statistics uh, speak of something. There's the fact that I think the, the last major survey I know the statistics from was, I think, 2015. And in that over 60 percent of British people still describe themselves as working class. Um, and so that there's, you know, and as we know, so that's the majority of the population. And and we know that the majority of the population are also not in church. So, I, you know, I, I don't think those two things are unrelated. I think in terms of mission um, and evangelism, there's, you know, this this is a this is a huge, huge area that really the church isn't getting right um, and hasn't been for a long time. And I think there's all sorts of reasons. Part, partly there's a there's a problem that um, you've got kind of the church centric kind of cultic devotion wars where you've got people at either end of a spectrum, if you will, trying to say that this is the way to do church. You know, and I actually, you know, whether they're talking kind of high Anglo-Catholic mass on the estate, um, which is lovely, or kind of, um, you know, great big uh, charismatic worship band sort of thing, which is equally lovely. Actually, neither one of those expressions speaks into the realities of most people's lives. Um, it, it just doesn't resonate with them um, at all. But we're so caught up with those that kind of church centric notion, which is invariably middle class and also is a subculture, really, that that we're missing all the opportunities to just engage with just the ordinary people and and there are all sorts of problems with that but the one that upsets me the most is that our faith our scripture our god was an ordinary person (laughs) surrounded by other ordinary people who told us that those ordinary people were going to inherit the kingdom of god and that god loves them and that's what we should be so you know and and i don't want to put too fine a point between kind of working class and middle class because because i don't at some at times, I don't think there needs to be, but I do think that we we are missing a, a massive opportunity, and we're letting down, um, we're letting people down by by not putting our church stuff aside, 
and thinking seriously about how we can actually engage with 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 um you know to use the awful kind of like jingoistic um campaigning phrase you know ordinary working people ordinary <laughs> working people yeah, yeah. But, but that, <laughs> there is truth to that there are just ordinary working people and you and i you know that's our friends and families isn't it and and on the whole do they feel like they need god or church in their lives no my, my, my sister I, my, my sister when i am um, I, I love my sister very very much um we're quite close um when she um she came to my priesting so the priesting is that you're ordained deacon first and the year later you're ordained priest and i i couldn't believe she came honestly i was so so touched i was so pleased she came i was so happy to see her um i think that's probably the third time she'd been in church after my wedding and my brother's yeah. wedding i'm not yeah. totally sure why he got married in church but that's his business he can tell you himself <laughs> um I'm, I'm glad he did I, I we actually we we share a page mine was the wedding before his because oh, nice. so so we're, we're on the same double page in the book i'm very happy about that but anyway so my my sister came to my priesting and when um when people asked her uh, why she wasn't about that weekend she said it was because my brother's being promoted in his cult <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's well that's the perception whether we like yeah, it or not absolutely if i go back into the pub where i grew up where i've spent you know hours and hours of my childhood where there's a plaque on the wall to my granddad because you know he basically kept the pub going with his habit and he, you know, he came back he came back from the war moved into the estate brand new estate brand new pub built for the estate found his seat in that pub and then he sat there until he died you know 60 years later um if i go in there now if i had the money to live that life i know I yeah. but you know they they've known me since i was born but if i go in there it's all right pedo that's what i am and they you know in a they don't they don't mean it in fact they don't even realize how hurtful that is and i suppose the reason they can say it is because they've known me all my life but it betrays a perception and that perception in in, in my, my my working class friends and family or, or people who would who would define themselves as such but it's the perception of us weird cultic strange bible bashing pedophiles basically and that's quite strong but that, that but it's know, true and that's consistent with my experience as well yeah and i didn't think my family would come to my ordination my dad some of them did and my dad who was the one i at least sort of come came kind of last minute and i remember you know, it was only a few weeks ago he was just so kind of off off to my left behind me and i felt so embarrassed suddenly to be wearing all the get up with him there um it was like the it, you know it, it just felt so it's it, something about it felt so unnatural to be kind of in that cathedral with all the pomp and the ceremony and the, the bishops and the registrars and the choir and to have my dad stood over just just out of sight behind me and i, I mean and, and actually it was horrible until there was a moment in the service where you go and stand up and you turn around and i look i look back at him and he had tears in his eyes it's the first time i've ever seen my dad cry um and i just thought oh actually it's all right it's 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 okay but I, I for for the longest time i just never thought he would come and we don't talk about it and if we try to talk about it everyone gets really uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> so, so we just we just don't um, yeah <laughs> so i I'm, I'm giving away a little bit of my view here but i feel like that's probably i tried when we started this podcast i i, I genuinely thought i would remain neutral on all topics the idea would be that i would invite a guest and they can speak about their thing and I just facilitate. So far, I've achieved that. Well, never. I haven't achieved that on any episode so well, that'd far. That would be boring, wouldn't it? And, and I can honestly say, having you know, knowing what's coming up, because this will be released third, I, I know about the next two. Um, I wasn't very neutral in those either. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
So giving my giving away my view a little bit, I feel that church is is largely, like you said, failing to connect with the working class. We're we're hugely underrepresented in clergy mm. and in church leadership. A, a colleague of mine who who I like very much, um, in my deanery said, "I'm the only priest he knows who's genuinely still working class." Um, yeah. And and most of the clergy I know who who were at one point working class or, or would define themselves as working class, who would come from that kind of background. Yeah have had to kind of become middle class. And you, you touched on that earlier, kind of putting yeah. it on, pretending to be middle class. Or, or, and eventually that becomes real, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? So what do you think is the solution to this to this problem? We, I mean, we're underrepresented in leadership. We're underrepresented in the views. What would you say is the solution to this problem? How do we solve this problem? Well, I think there's a few things. I mean, one of the one of the key things, which isn't so much as a solution, but it's it's an identification of a problem that could be worked on, is that when people do come into church, maybe from a working class place, it's often it's a it's a big leap for them. If you think, you know, they, they probably didn't go to schools with the kind of chapel tradition. They haven't grown up with people who maybe sing in the choir or or play the organ or have music lessons or, you know, all those kind of cultural capital things whereby even if you're not uh religious in a faithful way you're culturally religious because you've got a sense of cultural capital where which a lot of working class children um don't have the opportunity to get so those people cross the boundaries and they come into a church and then usually nine times out of ten what seems to happen is that process we're discussing of, of basically becoming middle class they're encouraged you know to to dress differently to speak differently to get their kids into a better school maybe to move house and just you know just just and, and the, the problem we end up with then is that <laughs> if we see each one of those persons as a potential evangelist back to their community, they don't go back to their community because we we transplant them into ours and try to make them like us. And they never go back out again and tell people the good news where they where they've come from. And, and you get caught kind of like how you and I feel as well, where you're caught between these two worlds where you feel almost there's times where, you, you know, I feel like a class traitor. There's other times where there's other times where I feel like I'm an imposter in the church, you know, but I don't. And, and I've been on the side of the church and the, I, I, I've, I've been on the side of the church and my culture in many ways, because because for all this, all this sort of bad stuff we've said about the church and, and, and it's all true. And I'm not taking anything I've said back, but I love the church. The church has been yeah, incredibly yeah. good to me. I mean, my, yeah. my I, I, I adore St. Barnabas, the church I'm in now. I, um, and I owe a huge amount to the, to the Church of England and, and, and to church culture. I, I love the church. I love everything it stands yeah. for. Absolutely. And that's partly why I care about it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the thing with it going back to the kind of the notions of 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 there being a value judgment in class. I don't think the church needs to be less middle class. I think the church needs to be more working class as well. You know yeah. what I mean? It, 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 it greater representation, we need greater diversity. And so I suppose the leadership, as you said, is the other point in that. You know, we we've been through the BAP process which, you know, even even kind of at the discernment end, the amount of time and resources. And as you said, even even just the way people um, encounter you in that process, you know, they, what they think of you, it demands so much that actually an ordinary person working a nine to five job can't give or can't no. give easily. And then and then, you know, the actual BAP, the, te the, the test where they decide whether you can go forward for ordination or not. Is as we know, is based on the officers' exam from like the 1950s or. It's or like something. a it's like a three day intensive intensive period of interviews and, and examinations yeah. and um, very academic, very. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, and the um the um. Uh, my point left me. Never mind. 
But I, I know that <laughs> at the moment there's they're actually so it's changing right now. So the the selection criteria is changing to encourage a greater diversity in leadership. Yeah. Um, and you and I both we had a we you know we shared a lecturer who was who had um, a great fondness for Pope Francis, and we'll talk about this notion of the uh, the pastor has to smell of the sheep. Um, you know, the, the the pastor has to smell like the sheep for the sheep does that to mean, the pastor. Does that mean I'm allowed to smoke weed and drink in the daytime? <laughs> I thought you did that anyway, mate. I thought that was your not official, not officially. <laughs> but but what what that saying portrays is still this notion whereby somehow the clergy or the church or the leadership are are separate from the people they're serving. The pastor doesn't need to smell of the sheep. The pastor needs to be one of the sheep if we're going to push this pastoral metaphor to to, to those limits. I mean, I think that reflects, I think that reflects quite, and I know the lecturer, I won't name her, that's not kind, but um, um, because she's a nice person, but I very regularly regularly disagreed with her because I found what she presented was a very imperial shape of church like yeah the pastor smells like the sheep because the pastor is someone trying to pretend to be the sheep well we don't yeah. i don't need someone pretending to be the sheep i need a sheep working class don't need a, don't need a middle class priest who can pretend to be working class i need a working class priest yeah and this is where i think i've been and perhaps certainly when i was in college i came in quite aggressive quite defensive for very good yeah. reasons but um i think perhaps where i've been misinterpreted is i don't want less middle class clergy like you said i don't want less middle class people i want more middle class people and more yeah. working class people and yeah. more upper class people and yeah. and more gay people and more black people and more, more yeah. every people i want more, more everybody please i don't want yeah. everybody i don't care uh, it's just not that big of a deal to me i, I, I just not I, I want to see more people fulfill the call that is on their life and i just couldn't care less what the background is but i do think we have a system in a church that prohibits people that are not well, middle class. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, it's, there's a whole kind of, um, there's, there's a whole kind of way of knowing and understanding that this idea of cultural capital that, that comes from a middle class background, from your parents having disposable income and time. Now, I've only been abroad once in my entire life, and that was to Disneyland Paris. You know, I don't have a passport. I can't drive. I've been there. My yeah. sister lost her camera. That's all I remember from that. My dad, <laughs> my dad's factory had at one time had a really nice and like really generous owner. They arranged the um, they arranged like like a like a factory workers affordable holiday at Disneyland, and my sister lost her camera, and that's all I remember about it. Because I was like four, but. but but it, it's, that was a good you know, addition to the podcast, wasn't it? <laughs> but it's just little, little things like that. You know, it's when you enter the world and certainly when you enter the world of church leadership, it's it, it can be so alienating and so um, just just completely out of your experience or comfort zone. Um, and and at times it's going to be. And I suppose that's right. But I think there just needs to be a lot more awareness made for that. Um, and there's also the sense that you know if if you never see somebody in leadership from the same background as you the the odd you know the 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 potential to believe that you can do it i think is is far less i think if to see someone from a similar background to yourself or even even just a a position that isn't the majority in leadership um i think really encourages more people to be there but the, the fact is we, you know as we said we haven't got many of them and and those those that we do have feel under a constant pressure either consciously or unconsciously to conform to to something else um although my experience of the first few weeks of ministry have been uh have been that i have been myself um and 
and largely that's been okay uh, you know it, I, i've been able to be i mean i'm i mean i'm in a fairly kind of um you know like bottom 10 percent for deprivation kind of area similar to you uh so it's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of working class people here it, you know across all positions of society so in in that sense actually it's in terms of um you know interacting with with the people who live in this parish it's made my life easier because mm. uh because we're able to just get on and talk about ordinary things and and, and, and certainly that's been my experience post training yeah, um, yeah. The, as soon as i landed in the parish i found it to be yeah i've not really had not any major issues the old comment here and there most yeah. from other churches not from my own yeah absolutely yeah 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 well like like you were saying earlier before we we started this we had a chat and you said you'd seen pictures of me in shorts and a dog collar um yeah and, to be fair i was quite i was quite being quite derogatory about shorts and a dog collar um, uh, that's fine mate it's just, it's, own, just but, owning that but it's not class related i just think that it looked <laughs> but so i wear the same clothes i used to wear i wear the same clothes the same kind of 90s grunge like like guns and roses um guns and roses reject kind of look that i had before i was ordained i just got it all in black yeah and and, and I, I got t-shirts made and i just wear my normal kind of weird folk hippie stuff and, and just carry on wearing it but th- there was this guy kind of um one of the church people I knew. Sorry, I'm trying not to specify too much. There. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's harder than you think. And he said to me, uh, "I turned up at something in, you know, shorts and a, and a t-shirt and a clergy t-shirt." And he said to me, "Oh, do all the priests in UQ dress like that?" And I said, "No, but every other fucker does." So, so well, I. <laughs> That's the point, I, isn't I, it? I, I like, told you this is we're being recorded. You can't say fucking shit and things like that. Can I not? Oh, we're, we're aiming for the middle class. Oh, sugar. <laughs> I'm not, not going to let it. Matter of principle. Um, uh, exactly. But I mean, that's the point. I mean, how how many, you know, how many under 40s are wandering the beaches of Newquay in a three-piece suit and tie? None. <laughs> and how many under 40s are in my church? None. None. There is a correlation. You know? <laughs> and and you know, I found it. A lot of clergy I know. So I, I've worn my collar. I didn't know how, what I was going to do with my collar at all. I didn't go to one of those kind of clergy collar tap fair things. The whole time I was at college because they terrified me. But once, as soon as I got it, I thought, no, I'm going to have this on all the time. I've encountered loads of clergy who, who don't do that because they, there's this weird thing. They feel like when they take their collar off, they've got license to be more themselves. And, and what I want to say to them is kind of missionly. And, it, and in terms of like, you know, your integrity, you should be able to just be you. You should be exactly the same person with that collar on or not. And that's one of the interesting differences that's often highlighted between working class and middle class people, uh, particularly in appearance, but but it, it switches other things, is that uh, middle class people uh, like to dress uh, in a way that shows basically, it shows integrity of who they are. Middle class people dress aspirationally, who they want people to think they are, right. or who they want to be, um, which is why, you know, classically, the major subcultures of, our, you know, the last hundred years, you know, musically and artistically are all working class movements you know, punk and grunge and rock and folk, they're all the voice of ordinary people saying, actually, we want to express ourselves this way and we don't care. And it's typically the middle class arena, the middle class professional that says, well, actually, the way I dress is more about the position I have and the things I aspire to rather than expressing who I am and what I believe. But I think having a collar is a pretty big fucking expression of what you believe. And so it's about as big as it can get. Yeah. So it should be on all the time and you should just be you. Okay, mate, so we've run out of time. 
Final question, what would you like to call the episode? I'm I'm not sure because there's some quite like I can think of some quite sort of worthy uh, and kind of um, you know titles that, but I can also think of some like quite funny silly ones. <laughs> that's, that's so what we're what we're doing here for for, for those listeners is we, um, for those people listening who think this is a think this is a work. Um, <laughs> we're pretending we haven't spent a lot of time talking about this. That is true. You're right about that. We're we're pretending that we haven't talked about it, but the reality is we have talked about it. Oh, you've we're made just, me look right, Prince. We, <laughs> we, we just didn't make any decisions. Um, okay. Two, two, two working-class priests drinking is not is not likely to produce very good results, is it? Really? So there's our so, title. Uh, there it two is. Two working-class priests drinking. There That's it is. That's the name I of the agree. tour as well, mate. That's it. <laughs> Are we going on tour? Well, we'll see how well I don't this think does. It, I'm not sure anyone's listening to me, mate. I'm. <laughs> I think I, I enjoy making the shows. I'm not sure if anyone's listening to them. That's no, fine. As long as you enjoy it, mate, it's fine. <laughs> okay, so thank you for coming on, Lee. I really appreciate it. It was really lovely to talk to you. Thank you for having me, mate. Okay, thank you for listening to uh, Two Working Class Priests Drinking. Uh, do like the Facebook page. Uh, find us on Twitter. We're definitely on Twitter now. I checked and double checked. I've got two bishops following me, so we must be real. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, I know. Fight. One of them's Humphrey Seven. Oh, okay. Well, you can say what you like with him. <laughs> I don't know, I'm hoping to get him on. But, uh, I've Ooh, named him. I've named him on air, so we'll find out if he's listening now. We're calling. You're calling him out. I'm calling him out. Humphrey, I want you to come on and talk about talk about training clergy. Like that bit at the end of Warriors. <laughs> cool. So, thank you for listening to Alternative Christian Voices. Uh, like us on Facebook. Like us on Twitter. Uh, follow us. Comment in the uh, in the comments underneath. You've been listening to two working class priests drinking.